It is true that Pastor Dave promised you a guest speaker and he couldn't come, so you're stuck with me. Uh, but uh, so we will, and as I visit with Pastor Dave, and I count it a great privilege to follow up on what he was teaching, uh, we will uh, pick up Moses somewhat where he left off. Okay, and, and this whole idea that it's never too late uh, to uh, surrender your life to Christ. Now, let me do a disclaimer. I know I look a little rough this morning. Uh, Ann and I did not have a fight. That's the first thing I should say. And uh, not only that, but uh, Ricky and Dave and those guys did not throw a hammer at me. It is true that when working on the RCC building, one of those big steel trusses came loose while I was jacking it and hit me in the side of the head and knocked me off my ladder. Uh, But it hit me in the place that can do the least amount of damage, and that is in the head. And so, if you are in the scriptures, we are in... uh, So you just have to put up with me. I couldn't shave. I got stitches. Uh, I must say that I was well taken care of, although Brother uh, Kirk here and my son Zach sent me to the emergency care by Carl Wynn, who got lost twice en route, (laughs) and then delivered me to the Avis rental car parking lot. And uh, I did mention to him that, you know, if I was bleeding to death, he might as well have taken me to the morgue by the time he got me there. And uh, so anyhow, just to say this, if you ever get injured and they offer for Carl to take you, walk. Uh, but anyhow, poor Carl. And, and of course, I didn't say anything. I was calm with him, and uh, we had a lot of fun. And uh, I didn't bleed to death before I got there. Now, when you get to the book of Acts in Acts chapter 7, which is where Pastor Dave took you, Uh, last Sunday, Uh, and you have, what you have here is the sermon, historical account and sermon uh, by Stephen of the nation of Israel, and you have his account of what happens back in Exodus chapters 1, 2, and 3 at the uh, account of the birth and the life of Moses, right? So let me read this to you, it's in Acts chapter 7. This is the first account you actually have of these events in the New Testament. They're given to you by Stephen, who will be stoned at the end of the sermon. But anyhow, he gets this much in on the way. So if you're with me, we're in Acts chapter 7, and we're going to start in in verse 20. In which time Moses was born and was was exceeding fair, and nourished up in his father's house three months. And when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up, nourished him for her own son, And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and was mighty in words and in deed. And when he was a full forty years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him, and avenged him that was oppressed, and smote the Egyptian. For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. And the next day he showed himself unto them as they strove, and would have set them at one again, saying, Sirs, you are brethren, why do you wrong one another? But he that that did his neighbor wrong thrust him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Will you kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Then Moses, at this saying, fled, and was a stranger in the land of Midian, where he begot two sons. And when he was forty years were expired, there appeared to him in the wilderness in the Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in the flame of the fire uh, in the bush. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Here you have 
not the historical account, if you would, but much more a look at what was going on behind the scenes in Moses' life. Hebrews chapter 11. Moses is listed here in this great hall of fame of faith that the Hebrew writer gives us of all these great saints that have gone before us that we should follow their example in trusting God. And in Hebrews chapter 11, when you get down to verse 24 or 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because he was a proper child. And there were, and they were command, not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had great respect of the reward that was promised him. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, lest he that, dest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. And by faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians, attempting to do, were drowned. Now there you have two New Testament accounts of the life, if you would, of the early life of this man named Moses. Now, let me just build off of what Pastor Day challenged us with last week and the fact that there's never a time that it's too late, right? And that many times we make these decisions to do things that put our lives, it seems like, on this track of destruction. And then we all of a sudden wake up to the fact that we are in the wilderness. Now, what you have here, though, is a, and, and I want to use Moses as a launching pad, and we'll come back to the Moses, to Moses at the end. But what you have here, it seems to be, as you study Scripture, a continual pattern of how God deals with men. Somewhere in the first 40 years of Moses' life, Moses has at least somehow connected with God on the level that he understands, or at least he senses, that God wants to use him to deliver Israel. That's his first 40 years. Now there is a lot that happens. If you read the history of Moses in the writings of Josephus, the, Israel, the Jewish historian, he says at the age of 14, Moses led the southern armies of the Egyptian forces to turn back the Ethiopian invasion from the south and became the commander-in-chief of the entire Egyptian force. At 14, Moses was the commander-in-chief of the greatest fighting force at that time on the planet. He was incredible in, as it says here in this passage, mighty in deeds, even as an Egyptian. He spends 40 years acquiring all the wisdom. Unless you miss out on that, let me tell you this, that we have documentation that 2,000 years before the birth of Christ, the Egyptians were doing brain surgery. These are not cavemen. They are not stupid. We still don't know how they built the pyramids. These are incredible intellectual men and women. This nation is mighty. The only difference between us today and the people back then, see, we have this archaic idea of these cavemen. That is not true. The only thing you have is you have the ability to amass all the knowledge. But we're not smart. Matter of fact, they did 
things with less technology and less equipment and mechanisms that we can't even do today. Moses was raised in that culture, the culture that built the Finks, the culture that built the pyramids, the culture that did brain surgery. And he is the commander-in-chief of their armies. He is a mighty man. One day he's out walking and he sees this Egyptian. Obviously he knows he's a Hebrew. He knows he's Jewish. He's out walking and he sees this Egyptian abusing one of the Hebrew slaves. Now the Hebrews weren't always slaves in Egypt. They're down there for 400 years. But for a long time, they're good friends to the Pharaoh. They come down there under the rule of Joseph, remember? And they are given the best pasture land and the most fertile land in Egypt, the Goshen Valley, for their sheep and their herds. Because the Egyptians didn't like herding sheep. Neither do I. They stink. But anyhow, uh, that's a different story altogether. But they didn't like it, so they gave that land to to. Jacob and his children, and they flourished there. But then they begin to outnumber the Egyptians. And along came a Pharaoh who said, hold it, there's a problem here. They're going to be able to just overthrow us anytime they want to simply because they outnumber us. The numbers tell us that. So we're going to kill the children. You got all that story from Dave last week, Pastor Dave last week, and he's absolutely right on. But Moses sees them, one of his brethren who are now in slavery being abused and so he kills the Egyptian, buries him in the sand of course the word leaks out and he runs to the wilderness. Now here's where I want us to pick up. See if I, I wrote a whole bunch of the stuff down as I was thinking about this this week and of course anytime I preach I always end up talking about whatever God happens to be doing in my life. You know I, I just can't preach something I haven't at least had God run me through a few times. Some of you will know the name J. Hudson Taylor. J. Hudson Taylor was the first missionary to actually go inland in the land of China. Right? And he arrives in China in the mid-1800s, determined that he would learn to trust God. And he actually, by the time that he dies, he has 800 missionaries in the inner parts of China, and he supports them on nothing but prayer. No plea letters, no offerings, nothing. He just prays, and God sends him the money. Right? And he's an amazing man. But he had this to say. And I want you to think about this saying. I want to tie it into what I'm going to teach you. J. Hudson Taylor said this. No work done God's way at God's time will ever lack God's provision. No work work of God done at God's way at God's time will ever lack God's provision. Now what you have here is a 40-year-old man who is incredibly talented. He has incredible knowledge. He has incredible life experiences. He literally is what Dave described as a guy who couldn't miss. But I got news for you. Being qualified to not miss in the world in the world is not the same as being qualified not to miss with God. And God is about to do what he does over and over again in scripture. Notice that when Stephen speaks of Moses, he says Moses supposed. By the way, my friend, supposing is a bad idea. Moses supposed 
that his brethren knew that he was the deliverer. And so he took things into his own hands and he killed the Egyptian. Now God is going to send him to the wilderness for 40 years. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to the wilderness, but if you walk with God, you're going. Because this is how it happens. God grants the vision. Somewhere Moses figured it out. Then God refines the man. Then he resurrects the vision. Is that true in Scripture? Over and over again. God gives a vision to Joseph at 16. Sends him into slavery for 20 years. Brings him to power in Egypt. God gives Hannah a, a husband and a desire for children. She's barren for 20 years. Then we birth Samuel. God gives a promise to Abraham and Sarah that they will have children and they will be the, he will be the father of a, of a great nation at 70. Then we walk in the wilderness for 30 years. Then Isaac is born. You can just go on and on. Elijah comes on the scene as this great prophet of God marches into Ahab's ca castle or, or palace and says, It will not rain for three years. On my word, we're shutting up heaven until you pay attention to God. And then what, you know what God said to him? God said, Go show yourself. He went and showed himself to Abraham, Ahab, said, It won't rain for three years. And what is the very next words of God? Go hide yourself. And he sends him to the wilderness for three years and he eats with the ravens. You can go on and on. Anoints David king at 14 or 16. 14 years in the wilderness running from Saul, then he becomes king. Paul. We always think of Paul as this great apostle, this great man of God who gets converted when God knocks him off his donkey on his way to Damascus. And then all of a sudden he's preaching. That is not true. He preaches in Jerusalem right after he's converted and he's such a problem that the apostles send him away and he will spend seven years in the deserts of Arabia before he comes back to preach again. There's a refining fire here, guys. Called God gives a vision, then God refines the man. And if you ever want to meet with God on this level, you have to make it through this battle. It will always be true. It's exactly what you read this morning in Romans chapter 5. When you read that passage, remember we glory in the grace wherein we now stand. And not only that, we glory in tribulation. Because the tribulation produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and can character hope, and the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. Now think about this, guys. See, we mash that verse together in Romans 5, and we think that lasts two days. We think it lasts two days, three days at the most. If we don't... It, you know, if we haven't heard from God for three days, then surely it's over, right? Forty years for Moses. Matter of fact, you can study the Scriptures and you can come to the great conclusion that the longer the cross, the greater the crown. Mm. 
that the longer the wilderness experience, the greater the call. And friend, it is one thing. See, think about this. It takes God less than three months to destroy the entire nation of Egypt. Matter of fact, it's almost 400 years in history before Egypt is a power again. He literally will tear that nation down, destroy it economically, destroy it militarily. He will literally destroy it in three months. But it takes 40 years to refine the man who will lead it. 40 years. Think about this. You have no account when you read in Exodus of Moses ever meeting with God or God ever telling him anything for 40 years he's out there. As far as we know, Moses has settled in to just being a shepherd. He's married a young lady, he's had two sons, and he is 80 years old. By this time in America, he's a has-been and he's in a nursing home. We, my friend, are a generation that does not value character. We have mistaken, my friend, the sensationalism of America's Christianity for spirituality when it is merely a sign of its shallowness. We do not understand, friend, the difference between brashness and boldness, and we do not understand the difference between arrogance and authority. And we, my friend, therefore are easily enamored by the next sensation that comes down the pike, whether it's in the entertainment world, the sports world, or the Christian world. But God doesn't do it that way. Because God is as determined to have a man or a woman. See, the real question, when it comes to faith, we always ask the wrong questions. The real question is not whether you can trust God. The real question is, God can tr trust you. Can God give you this vision? And you not twist it? See, friend, that's why I disagree with my Baptist brethren. And I know you find it hard to believe that I ever disagree with anybody. But the Baptist brethren believe that Jesus' ministry starts at his baptism. That is not true. Jesus' ministry starts after his 40 days in the wilderness and he passed the test. What is that test? That test is very simple. Will you use your power and your position to meet your own needs? Will you twist it? Will you use the power you have to turn the rocks into bread because you're hungry? And by the way, friend, the testing does not happen for 40 days. The testing happens after the 40 days. Satan doesn't show up when you're on your best behavior. Satan shows up when you've had 40 days of fasting and you're tired and grumpy. And you're hungry. The temptation to turn the rocks into bread don't mean anything if you haven't ate for 40 unless you haven't ate for 40 days. Now it means something. What's the next one? Will you use your position and power to draw attention unto yourself? Will this become about you or rather than about God? What's the next one? Remember, throw yourself off the temple. What's the next one? Will you use your power, your influence to accumulate for yourself? 
the kingdoms of the world. Will you use it to advance yourself? If you can't pass those tests, you're not qualified for ministry. It's that simple. And my friend, you can take every minister that has fallen in America in the last 40 years and find one of those three that they failed at. Now, what about Moses? What was God really after? Got your Bibles? What was he looking for in this man? And by the way, you can do the same thing with women. You can see the women in Scripture going through the same trials. It's not a man thing. Rachel does it. Remember, she watches all those other women giving children, and finally she's so desperate she goes to Jacob after 20 years and says, either give me children or I'm dead. You see Hannah do it for the birth of Hannah, of, of Samuel. You see it all through Scripture. You see Elizabeth. You see all these women. So what's he after? Go to Numbers chapter 12. Here's an interesting little passage right in the middle of Numbers about this man named Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers chapter 12, there's been this great debate breakout between Moses and his brother and sister. He had siblings. He was the youngest. And of course, his older sister loved to boss him. I don't know that none of you do that. Okay? Her name is Miriam. And then he has an older brother named Aaron. Now, Aaron is in this picture because Moses wanted him to. Now remember, friend, that Moses has led them out. He got married out in the wilderness, brought his wife and two children with him. We don't know whether they made it all the way into Egypt when he came to deliver Egypt, but we know they hook up with him as they come out of Egypt. <coughs> There's this business dispute between Marion and Aaron with Moses about whether Moses is the only man in that group that God talks to and talks through. And here we have it. Chapter 12, verse 1. And Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it. Now here's the verse. Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which are upon the face of the earth. Did you catch that? Something's happened in 40 years of wilderness, guys. Something's happened. This great commander, this great leader of the Egyptian southern forces, this one who was excelled in Egypt for all of his mighty wisdom and deeds, is now the meekest man on the face of the earth. Really. Friend, by the way, Underline those verses and never, remember, never forget that racism has been around a long time. This whole dispute is over the fact that Moses married an Ethiopian woman. Let me make that very plain for you. He married a black woman. And he was a Jew. And it didn't fit too well with Miriam and Aaron's idea of a leader. And so they began to have this dispute with Moses. By the way, if you want to know the end of the story, Miriam ends up with leprosy and Moses has to intercede for her so God will heal her or she's dead. This is not a small thing. This is a big issue. The question is, is Moses really the leader that God wants him, that God wants to lead Israel at this time? 
But what is meekness, guys? Meekness is knowing that God has called you to do it, and therefore you don't have to defend yourself or take up your own cause. God will take it up for you. Meekness is power under control. It's not weakness. It's meekness. My friend, if you watch this thing, here is Moses on his, on his way to be the deliverer at 40, supposing that everybody knows he's the great leader and he kills the Egyptian. Forty years later, there's a burning bush in the desert and God is saying to Moses, I'm going to send you to Egypt. What does Moses say? I ain't going. You're exactly right. I'm not capable of that. Matter of fact, this is the words he uses. Who am I? Well, 40 years before that, he didn't have any problem knowing who he was. <coughs> now he, 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 he has a real hesitancy. There's a real hesitancy here. My friend, Moses asked two questions at the burning bush. The first one is wrong. Who am I? The second one is right. Who are you? Because the issue in fulfilling the call of God on your life is never who you are. It's who he is. Moses moves from who am I to who are you. Because, my friend, that's going to be the end of the story. He's a meek man. That is the most amazing statement that I, have, I think I've ever read in the Old Testament was when I read that verse. Here is this man, because, see, I grew up watching the Ten Commandments at Easter every year with Charlton Heston. You know what I mean? Just, you know, if you've ever seen that movie, it's quite an awesome movie for the day. Now, most of you younger guys, yeah, it's kind of, used to be it was on every Sunday, yeah. Easter Sunday night, and, and, you know, whether we went to church or not, my parents always made us watch the Ten Commandments and eat apples and popcorn, and, uh, and it, you know, Charlton Heston does not strike you as meek, but I'm telling you, Moses was the meekest man on the face of the earth. He's a man who doesn't have to pull rank. Here's a man who doesn't have to stand for his cause. Here's a man who doesn't have to kill an Egyptian to prove he's a leader. Here's a man, my friend, that never has to make up with an outward act for an inward lack. Because he has been refined in the desert of life. And he stayed there for 40 years, forging a character that could be trusted with the vision of God. See, my friend, in America today, we love sensationalism. We love to know our purpose. We love to know what our calling is. My friend, your purpose, your calling doesn't matter. The question is his purpose, his calling. What does he want? Who is he? Not who are you. God couldn't care less who Dave Massey is. Because that is not the goal. Paul says the same thing, my friend, in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21. He says, in this one thing I will not be disappointed. Verse 19, you go into 21, you get it all. This one thing I will not be disappointed in. I will never be ashamed of this one thing. It is my earnest expectation and my hope that Christ will be manifested through my mortal life. That is the end goal. That is the purpose, right? It is not for Dane to fulfill his calling. It is not for Dane to fulfill his purpose. It's for Dane to allow Christ to fulfill his calling and his purpose through his life. I wasn't created to do something. I was created to be something. The image bearer of Jesus Christ. Now this takes up... Now friend, 
you can learn this theology, but I want to impress upon you as we think about turning our lives over again after this, in this wilderness experience, I want to impress upon you that, my friend, you can master the theology of this truth years before it masters you. It's not learning this truth that will change your life. It's when this truth masters you that your life will be changed. How do you know that Moses got it? Let me wrap this up for you. Okay? Go with me. Well, I'll just tell you the story. When you see Moses again in this real role, I believe you see it again in Exodus 32 and 33. And here we have an incredible account of God giving the Ten Commandments to Moses on the mountain. While he's up there on the mountain, the Israelites decide to throw a party, along with a few other things. And they decide that, you know, Moses and Moses and God just don't have this straightened out yet. And that probably Moses is dead up there. He's been up there for 40 days, didn't take food or water with him. So he's probably dead. So we're just going to make us a new God. And so they do. They take all the gold and silver and stuff that they brought out of Egypt and they melt it down and they make a golden calf. Now, have you noticed something? There's a, there's a tendency in this desert experience, if you study it through Scripture, in different lives, that we have a tendency when the waiting is too long, we just take things into our own hands. Moses has been, you know, how long he's known he was called of God to do this? Probably 10, 12 years. God hadn't done anything, so he kills the Egyptian. Abraham and Sarah waited 20 years. God hasn't done anything. He's 90, she's 80. This isn't going to happen. Let's hook up the handmaiden and have a child that way. Now you have an Ishmael. Over and over again, the tendency is in the middle of this wilderness experience, even, my friend, when we know what God has called us to, we tend to create our own gods in the middle of it because God just seems to stand afar off. Where is He? And so what happens here is they create this golden calf. Now always remember this, because when Moses comes down, the first thing they're going to do in judgment of God is grind that golden calf up, put it in the water, and make them drink it. Golden calves make good hamburger. And whenever, my friends, you create a God, you can bet on it. If you want to walk with God, you're going to get to eat it. Come on. Come on. And that's exactly what happens, right? And then God says this. Now think about this, God. This is where you see the man that was refined for 40 years in the wilderness. I'm telling you, this is where it's at. God says to Moses, let me kill him. Leave me alone. And I will kill him and I'll start it all over with you. You can have the promised land. You and your descendants, just leave me alone. And there stands a man in the gap of that thing, it says, no. I will not take the, the promised land without them. I won't do it. Really. Now, my friend, I'm telling you, I've been in this journey for 40 years, son. Almost 41 years now with God, and I'm telling you, my answer would have been, that's a good bargain. 
<laughs> I'm tired of hearing them murmur and complain every time they don't get fresh meat. I'm tired of hearing them murmur and complain every time they don't have enough water. Every time something goes, doesn't go wrong in camp. Every time they're fussing with their, their neighbors. I'm tired of it. That's a good idea, God. Kill them and let's start again. The next chapter is even more amazing. God says, okay, I relent and I will not kill them. But you can have them and I'll send them up to the promised land with an angel. You and my angel will go up, but I will not go up with you. And here stands the man who knows something. The promised land without them is unacceptable. But the promised land with them and out without God is just as unacceptable. And he says, I will not take them up if you will not go with us. I'll live in the wilderness with them before I'll go to the promised land without you. My friend, listen. This is the character of Christ manifested through a mortal body. This is the Christ manifested. What does it say in Hebrews? He saw the riches of Christ and regarded the treasures of Egypt as nothing. Where are those men and women in your nation today? They are, do not exist. You want to know why? Because we refuse to stick with God for 40 years. We have few that have forged the trails of 40 years of nothing but wilderness to be those kind of men and women. We want it today. We believe that God works through the sensational and the strong and the young and the dynamic. I've got news for you, friend. In Scripture, God uses the weak, the despicable, the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. That my friend, when it's all said and done, none should glory in anything but Christ himself. This is where it's at. And friend, if I could do anything for you in the life of Moses, I would say, yes, it's never too late. But if you want it, it's not going to come early either. We forsake our vision. We forsake, my friend, God's draw in our lives. We do our own things. It's a long, long time in that wilderness, brother. And I'm telling you guys, 40 years is a long time to not hear from God. Yes. 40 years is a long time to stay in the harness and stay at least sensitive enough that when the bush is, the bush is burning, you still turn aside and say, I'm going to see what that is. Most of us have grown cold and old and blind and bitter. So let me finish with, do I have time to finish with one other illustration? I just thought of this. It's not my nose, but it's pretty good. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 12. Here is a man who is just the opposite. Hebrews chapter 12 follows on the heels of, guess what? Hebrews chapter 11. It's amazing, isn't it? Ah, but... <laughs> I didn't take math in high school. I didn't take anything in high school besides being stupid. But uh, anyhow, in Hebrews chapter 12, you have the real issue of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is a big parenthesis in the text, right? 
Because what you really have is God, as the Hebrew writer, spends the entire first ten cha- or nine chapters of Hebrews proving that Christ is everything you'll ever need. He's better and higher than the angels. He's better than higher than Moses. He's better and higher than the sacrifices. He's better and higher than the Aaron priesthood. And he's better and higher than the temple. He's everything you need. And then he challenges you in Hebrews chapter 10, he challenges you to press in to what you have in Christ. And that you have need of, don't miss this, endurance, that you might, after you have obeyed God, you might receive the reward. For we are not those who draw back in unbelief, but we are those who believe unto the saving of the soul. And then you have Hebrews chapter 11, where he lays out the history of God dealing with people and demonstrates to you that God is always the rewarder of those who believe that he is and that he is and and that diligently seek him. And then you get to Hebrews chapter 12 after the big parentheses. And what you have there is this description of life as a gymnasium where you must develop spiritual endurance because the race that is set before you If you don't, you will become weary and faint in your minds. And then we have an illustration of somebody who did that. Ready? Hebrews chapter 12. You get to verse 12. And it says, Wherefore, lift up the hands that hang down, and the feeble knees, make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but rather let it be healed. Follow peace with all men. Now, where did that come from? Because I'm telling you, In the wilderness, it's easy to have fights. Nope. Right? Things aren't going well. You haven't heard from God in a long time. Things are just kind of, ugh. And so what do you do? Fight with your wife. It's the only answer. Follow peace with all men. And holiness without which no man shall see God. Right? Looking diligently, watch this, lest any man fail from the grace of God. What is the grace of God? The grace of God is God is at work in your life, empowering you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Don't fail in this thing, he says, lest any root of bitterness spring up and trouble you, and thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for the morsel of meat sold his birthright. For we know that afterwards when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he might, though he sought it carefully with tears. Listen, my friend, Esau was a highly qualified man. He was the firstborn. He was a mighty hunter. He becomes the leader of nations, but my friend, he misses the blessings of God. How did that happen? Well, he's out in the wilderness. And he thinks he's going to starve to death. God isn't going to take care of him. Mm. Jacob shows up. And he's cooking a bowl of beans. He's got a pot on the the fire. When Esau comes out of the wilderness, there's Jacob with his bowl of beans. And he's cooking it. And Esau thinks he's going to starve to death. And Jacob says... Tell you what, give you a bowl of beans for your birthright. And he sells the birthright of the blessings of God on his life for a bowl of stinking beans. You say, well, how could that be? How would anybody do that? My friend, I would be a rich man if I had a dollar for every man and woman I've worked with in 40 years that have sold the birthright of God on their lives. 
for a stinking bowl of beans. Who have finally just gave up and said, God isn't going to do it. I might as well just take things in my own hands. And my friend, when you get weary in the battle and you get weary out there in the wilderness and, you're, and endurance is becoming tough and my friend, the sun's coming up every day and it's 100 degrees and, and you just, ah. You know what happens? Relationships become strained. Peace with all then. We begin to make rash decisions because we learn, my friend, we began to lose our value system. And no longer is the eternal the most important thing. It's the instant gratification that becomes overpoweringly tempting because we're starving to death. And my friend, our vision of eternity becomes blurred. And the only thing we can see is what we need right now. And my friend, in our minds, victory is impossible. So we'll take what we can get and run. And we sell it out for a bowl of beans. We sell it out for a one-night stand. We sell it out, my friend, for a few extra bucks because we cheated. We stole. We lied about our income tax. We, shall I go further? Just name them, guys. All of us have done it. Where our back is against the wall and God hasn't come through. And we sell out for a bowl of beans. And another trip into the wilderness. Because we just wouldn't stand there and endure. In our minds, it was impossible. And we lost the vision and became bitter and failed from the grace of God. My friend, I am convinced the real issue is not whether God can do what he wants to do in Dame Massey's life. The real issue is can God be can God trust Dame to do what God wants to do in Dame Massey's life? And we better pray, or I'm going to be in trouble with those teachers. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we come to you, and Lord, this is just a, a whole lot. Probably more than, Father, any of us could digest in a, in a 30, 40 minute hour time. And Lord, I know that, Lord, it's been years of this stuff grinding away in my life. And I still don't know if I understand. But Lord, I know one thing. God, I really believe that you want me where you had Moses. Meek and unwilling to have the promised land without you or without them. That, Lord, what you are really looking for are men and women who will stand before you and stay there until you're a God who fulfills your promise, until you're a God who does what you have said. And, Lord, I believe that Moses' trip into the wilderness for 40 years refined an amazing man and made him a vessel sanctified in meat for the master's use. And Lord, many of us in this room, if we're not in that valley, we're going to go. If we're not in that wilderness, it's coming. And Lord, those are difficult days. And Lord, they're, 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 they're just hard. 
And Lord, they break hearts and they destroy lives when we make bad decisions in the wilderness. And Father, I pray for them. As you know I do, Lord, that, Lord, they won't quit. They will endure unto the end. They will be those, Lord, who have not only obeyed God, but endured unto the reward. And they will see that you are the God who is still mighty to save. That, Lord, it doesn't take hardly any time for you to destroy Egypt. It takes 40 years to build a man. And, Lord, we want to be those men and women. We want to be those who really do understand that it's never too late for you to work. Lord, you just need us. And, Lord, we want to be those today. We thank you for and we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.